everybody and welcome back to the Hammer and Tulip podcast with me, Graham Phillips, and your other host, Mr. Gareth Dix. How are you, sir? Very well, mate. Yeah, a lot better, actually, and it's actually it's getting good to be able to go out and about more and... Um yeah, it's feeling a lot better, and we're coming in towards summer. Although you wouldn't think it, but oh, it's, it's, so it's good. Don't doing well. <laughs> how about how about yourself? How you been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been good. Um, not much to report really. Just just kind of keeping trucking, um, and uh, same as you really enjoying getting to go out a little bit more, um, and getting back to my garden office fairly regularly now as well, which is great. So yeah, all well, all well. So, um, today, without further ado, we're going to introduce our subject topic, and uh, then we're going to do our our books, what we're reading at the moment. So, um, we're going to be talking today about the impact of a 19th century theologian and preacher, a chap, I think he was 19th century, wasn't he, Gareth, or was he late 18th? I always forget. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's late 18th, kind of just after the... Um, the- uh, great, the other awakening. I think the Great Awakening just after. I think we're talking about the influence of Charles Finney, and um, we'll be looking into some of the things he had to say uh, about original sin, about substitutionary atonement, um, <clears throat> and then exploring how these things have impacted then the church that we see today. So, really looking forward to, to getting into that tonight. We hope it um, is of interest to you and uh, is something that hopefully kind of leads you into a greater awareness of the current church as we see it today and uh, also the work of the Holy Spirit and what he is doing in this day. So (coughs) before we break into our main subject tonight we're going to do our usual thing which is to let you know what we're currently reading because we know you care so much and you've been waiting all this time to find out what we've been reading so uh gareth what have you been reading mate well um to be honest with you, this book I'm, i wish i'd discovered this book years ago to be honest it's called whatever happened to the gospel of grace rediscovering oh, yeah. the doctrines that shook the world by james montgomery boyce oh. and the amazing thing about this book bearing in mind uh Montgomery Boyce died I think in 2000 and this book was published a year after his death in 2001 so I think I mean this was the last thing he did honestly you read it now 21 years later and it honestly it could have been written right bang up to date today it's scary you know it goes into the pragmatism of the of the modern church movement yeah, he goes yeah, into yeah. the problem with modern worship this is like 20 years ago Voices this, this has been written absolutely amazing and it just it's so fresh it's so relevant i can't recommend it enough and he goes into talking about obviously the uh, the doctrines of grace and, and for example using uh, talking about sola scriptura and saying how modern churches uh, the bible isn't enough they've got to use other other techniques to bring people into church and preaching the word of god isn't enough and he gives one example of a preacher who just decided to preach all the way through the bible and everybody laughed at him and said well who's going to want to come and listen to someone talking about Habakkuk and Nahum and and he grew the church massively and and fantastic book I really recommend it also um, I'm also enjoying reading The Gospel Driven Church Uniting Church Growth Dreams with the Metrics of Grace by Jared C. Wilson again a similar kind of vein because I'm really interested in that whole thing about as we talked about on this this podcast about the church growth movement and uh, pragmatism in churches but this really talks about what a a successful church really is and about a church that is actually um, driven by the gospel rather than uh, the culture and and attracting people in so that's been good now this book i haven't started yet but i've just bought it and um i just wanted to show it off because i'm so excited it arrived in the post a couple of days but here it is i'm just going to hold up to the camera so you can see it providence by john piper oh wow the breeze block of a book that i can't (laughs) wait to get stuck into so yeah that's me how about you um yeah i've been reading i've been reading through again pilgrim's progress i think i might have mentioned that oh amen Brilliant. Um, and then I have been reading, um, well, a couple of books, different subjects, really. Uh, first off, I guess on the back of some of the pragmatism stuff we talked about, um, I, and yeah, some stuff I feel is current in the church at the moment. I think I mentioned that I uh, read um, Chug de Groot's When Narcissism Comes to Church, which I would. That's highly- right, yeah, I remember that highly recommend if you're on staff at a church somewhere or if you are leading a church 
this book's for you i would i would highly recommend you pick it up and that started a little bit of a a kind of a, a vein for me in research so i read this book called something's not right decoding the hidden tactics of abuse and freeing yourself from its power by wade mullen who's actually a pastor and who experienced um some quite serious psychological abuse at the hands of a church leader and it's a brilliant book because i think it helps to understand sometimes what can happen when we see ministry leaders attempting to build their own kingdoms instead of building god's kingdom and what can happen under their influence and i think this is something that is rife i think this is a major thing that's happening in the church in the west right now uh there is a lot of abuse and it's not all physical and the church sadly um it well the churches that perpetrate these things not they're not always necessarily part of christ's invisible church but churches that practice the type of leadership where one person where one pastor or or apostle or prophet is elevated um, way above any kind of accountability what always happens is some level of abuse whether spiritual psychological emotional um, and you know often this plays out in staff teams um wow all sorts of you know and this this is rife and and sadly these types of churches are hotbeds for it because the type of people that attend these churches they give the benefit of the doubt to these leaders that raise themselves up above all accountability uh, they want to believe that there's some wonderful man or woman of god and they won't hear anything against them and there's there's all sorts of really quite creepy doctrines that have crept in particularly in charismatic churches like i don't know if you've heard of the culture of honor quote unquote um, oh golly yeah yeah so culture of honor which would be your you know don't dishonor your spiritual leaders you know you'll bring a curse upon yourself oh. um, and so literally these churches yeah. have become kind of rat's nests of abuse and don't ever challenge them when they're wrong otherwise you're bringing a curse oh, upon you and your oh. whole household and yeah you know and and um we've been on the receiving end of that kind of threat you know um and it's it, it's scary and i think it, it pays for christians to be clued up on this stuff um, yeah particularly if you are on staff or if you're a leader you know and if you're a leader in a kind of church where you know yourself you're being put on a pedestal and that you're not really accountable it's a good it, it's a good check for yourself um to say hang on a minute you know i i should yeah. be vulnerable with people i should be making myself accountable and really accountable not just the kind of accountability that's like yeah i've got accountability and i speak to these guys once a year and they know what i'm up to <laughs> no yeah. we're talking about yeah. real accountability uh, have you told them how you've sinned this week yeah you know, that's the t- type of accountability that really cuts and really works uh, have you got that in your life and um if not then fight for it you know it's not too late um th- th- that sort of stuff really does bring about health in a church so yeah something's not right wade mullen i would highly recommend that um then i've been reading dominion started off i haven't finished it by tom holland um oh wow which i think i mentioned last time birthday present and you get stuck in yeah (laughs) super interesting so far just talking about the impact of the christian worldview uh, upon western civilization and i think also it just draws attention to the fact that although the Christian worldview is being slowly kind of like kicked to the curb in the UK. Um, much of our thinking is still very much influenced by Judeo-Christian values. So yeah, really interesting book. And then finally this one, uh, I, I found this on my shelf. I don't know where it came from. I think it's one of these books that I picked up free from somewhere, you know, or in a bargain bin yeah. somewhere. Jesus Man of Prayer, Expanding Your Horizons in Prayer, Margaret Magdalene and she's she's not reformed by any stretch she's she's kind of a bit of a mystic um yeah but there's some really good stuff in there particularly about Jesus's solitary prayer life so I mean yeah, I, I studied for a for a preach a few weeks ago <coughs> really really interesting stuff so yeah that's been blessing my prayer life as well uh, Jesus man of prayer expanding your horizons in prayer by Margaret Magdalene so yeah that's what I'm reading that's brilliant 
very interesting. I know you've all been so excited to to hear that. Um, and don't worry, we will throw the links in the notes if you do want to kind of uh, join us reading any of those books. So we're talking tonight about Charles Finney. And this is a guy who um, I think, you know, you may not be familiar with his name or, or um, that aware of how pervasive his influence has been in the church but personally i know that he's been very influential um in the lives of many church leaders who i know of um i i've worked with people who would think very very highly of finney and um would would name him as one of their favorite theologians and so um particularly in the charismatic world or in the kind of like revival church world um finney's a big name and finney's somebody that you know people look to isn't he gareth so yeah. i think it's we wanted to take a look at this as charismatic christians the both of us are uh, this is a guy who we see being a big player uh influencing the minds of leaders in the charismatic world but is that justified and is that actually a good thing so tonight yeah, we're going to take a bit of a, a look at this and just to flag up, actually, you were right first time. He was active in the 19th century. I'm seeing he was born in the end of the 18th, around 19th. So yeah, sort of that's that. You were right first time around. Just to clear that, I thought um, there was no one crossover. up. Thank you for that, Gareth. Um, it pays to be right, doesn't it, mate? So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so there we go. So we're talking about is this justified? This level of influence he has is it a good thing. Um, what were his views on some of the major points of doctrine, original sin? Um, and the atonement did he have orthodox views what were his what were his kind of pet doctrines like what did he preach how was he active in ministry um, and then how has he come to have such an influence because there aren't many preachers really that have an influence that goes beyond their lifespan uh, it's quite unusual for a preacher's work to continue being read hundreds of years after they uh, pass. So yeah. um, what is it about Finney that has created this legacy? Um, and how is that legacy now impacting the church today? So I think we should probably start with some background on Charles Finney. Um, and what kind of a preacher he was so gareth i don't know if you want to kick us off um in the conversation and we'll go from there yeah sure so essentially um so this is this is um american presbyterian minister leader in the second great awakening in the u.s um often called the father of modern revivalism and and he was famous actually for saying if you want a revival you can have a revival mm. you know like, like i mean that's we can we'll, I mean, we'll it's get so current, there isn't it like i hear yeah. that said now like you know you you are a revival. You're a walking revival. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we can come to that later on because yeah. there's so much I can say just about that. But, yeah. you know, if you want a revival, you just click your fingers and you have a revival. Boom. You know, so he thought you could engineer a revival um, and essentially didn't believe um, that you could, you, so that it's down to the Holy Spirit. You could kind of, in the same ways, and I just think it's the same way as you almost want to try and make it rain. You know, you can't just say, right, rain now and it starts raining. And that's kind of where he was coming from. But so there's a very strong pragmatism in his ministry. Uh, and kind of that's where we start to see these uh, leanings towards pragmatism in the modern church today, that sense of, well, you can make a revival. And very much famous for his altar calls and calling make right. people to make a decision for Christ. So this whole thing um, that Paul Washer very famously actually comes against and challenges the idea that you said a prayer and you got your ticket to heaven kind of kind of thing. And this, this kind of originates from this, this idea that, well, you said a prayer once, so you're kind of in, you made a decision. Um, and that, that kind of altar call would later lead to you know, the likes of D.L. Moody and Billy Graham and Billy Sunday, godly men that God really used of Amen. course as we know um, but at the same time by their own admission they would say you know sometimes you know there's a sense of we were calling people forward but we don't know where those people are today and I don't know about you I've done this many times you know I'm not taking any more high ground I've called people to the front I've prayed with people and supposedly led them to Christ but you don't you know it's actually an ongoing thing it's not just necessarily you prayed to that person once and that's it they're a Christian and that that was one of the things that we see there there's 
Also, a lot of uh, Finney's legacy can be seen in the vineyard and church growth movement. So there's there's all of those things as well. Um, but there is that sense of you know. Uh, I guess a whole generation of people who thought that they are Christians because they said a prayer wants a revival meeting. And I think this is one of the main things that we see with Finney as well, that kind of uh, streamlining theology, trying to make things uh, get through to people on that on their level. Uh, but one of the things like with his background, with Charles Finney's background that we see is he was actually uh, brought up as a Presbyterian and, and in the Presbyterian church you would have to stand in front of uh, a panel and this panel would, would ask you questions and one of the main things you had to do was actually to have read and agreed to the Westminster Confession of Faith mm. and so Charles Finney they, they ask him you know so how do you feel about the Westminster Confession of Faith and and he totally blagged it he'd, he'd never read the Westminster Confession of Faith he was like a teenage boy who hadn't done his homework you know and you know we've all been there haven't we the teacher says you know have you read the chapter of that book and you say oh yes it was great and they ask you what actually happened and you'll say oh I, oh, I can't remember but I enjoyed reading it or oh, yeah whatever um, but that was that was really where where he was at he you know later on admitted that he was pretty much ignorant of the Westminster Confession but he stood there and he kind of essentially blacked it and so no wonder then that the rest of his ministry was essentially spent denying most of the things if not all the things that the Westminster Confession confirms mm. and really that that was the main thing that when we see the beginning of his ministry he got his license to minister in the Presbyterian Church under false pretenses right. uh, and I think you could start off by saying you know quite legitimately that the whole premise of Finney's ministry was a sham because it it started in a place where he was essentially uh I suppose blagging uh that he'd he'd read and agreed to the Westminster Confession of Faith when in actual fact he hadn't studied it or read it and as he went on through his ministry he found himself disagreeing with with all the important uh, parts of what what makes christian faith christian faith yeah well the the westminster confession of faith um affirms doctrines such as original sin um the depravity of mankind the yeah. uh, absolute sovereignty of god over all things certainly that god is the actor in our salvation uh, the action of justification is performed by the Holy Spirit and you know th this is something that Finney would later come to preach against um, yeah. and write against in his systematic theology um, and it's what you used to call streamlining theology the idea is actually rejecting a lot of key doctrines in order to get through to people because well people won't yeah. like that it's too clunky so you'd, you'd streamline it and that's where you get this phrase streamlining theology from right okay yeah, I mean, he was a very, from from all accounts, he's a very persuasive preacher. Uh, Absolutely. Very enigmatic in his kind of delivery, like quite, uh, and, uh, you know, in his writing as well, you can tell the guy, you know, he's a, he's a persuasive communicator, a persuasive communicator, and he has a real command of the English language. Um, you know, yeah. he wasn't really a, a D.L. Moody. Uh, he was who was more on the sort of passionate, yeah. um, Holmesy kind of style. Um, Finney, Finney had command of the English language and was a bit of a wordsmith. If you ever tried to read any Finney, you know, it, it, it's not easy. Um, and so you, it, it's often the way, isn't it, when somebody of that type of character preaches and they're full of passion, they're using words you're not familiar with, but it, it seems to make sense. You know, maybe there's some kind of Christian doctrine that you've never quite understood, like how how do the sovereignty of God and and, and my my seeming freedom of will go hand in hand? How, how can those two things be true? And then here comes this, this commanding figure who... It seems to just know it all and he says yeah. oh, there's no problem the bible just doesn't tell you that god is sovereign uh it doesn't you know it's talking about this it's talking about uh free will it's talking about responsibility whatever it might be and the average christian is, is want to trust that um because it then takes away from them the need to go and do any hard research uh, streamlining can be extremely dangerous i think 
And, yeah, uh, and the, as, as you said, the emotionally manipulating because that's yeah. the thing is, like, like I say, he's a fantastic orator. And mm. but the thing was, because his approach was very much, you can have a revival when you want one. It would be, look, we just roll up, and and you speak well enough, you'll convince people. Because again, if if you don't believe in the sovereignty of God, as you already mentioned, then you think that if you can just put together a strong enough argument and deliver it in such a compelling way, people will believe. Now, to a degree, that's true. They will, to some point, be convinced but their hearts won't be changed because it's only the Holy Spirit that changes hearts so they may go yeah do you know what I can see that he's right there the problem is there's no conviction of the Spirit which means that a person who may have made some initial profession of faith goes away and realises yeah but I I still really want to do sinful things I still sit really there's no actual ability to, to actually have faith and then the person just gives up and thinks well I, I can't do this Christianity thing and, and, and tragically they walk away it's because they thought that they that they heard the truth in it but there wasn't the like the, the seed the parable of the, of the, of the sower the seed kind of fell on, on the ground where it couldn't put roots down properly and they don't have the depth in their faith and this is we see this time and time again don't we in, in, in the modern evangelical church I think we do um, I think we do I think um I'm going to just come back to a, a point you were making uh, earlier, and it's it's on this subject of focusing on people's responses to the gospel, and uh, you know, I mean, let's let's ask the question: What's wrong with having an altar call? What's wrong with asking people to come forward or to say, "Raise your hands if you've just prayed that prayer"? What's wrong with that? You know? Yeah. I think essentially, I think in in one element, I would say you have to initially pray a prayer. So for me, I'm just thinking I at some point in my life um, when I was 23, I got my knees and I prayed to God and I committed my life to, to Christ. But the evidence has to be seen that, that that conversion was genuine. And I think this is the thing where I think in, in many ways... Uh, an altar call isn't necessarily a bad thing but it can become very quickly um, so let's just say 25 people come forward 25 people made a commitment of faith well you the time will tell whether how many of those are actually going to be walking with with the lords because you know this is this is the thing that concerns me that it becomes a kind of like a, a numbers game well you know someone someone made a commitment and i've been that guy who said oh i prayed with someone and they made a com- commitment of faith and you don't see them in church again now for all you know they could have gone to the church around the corner or they may have completely gone gone away from god but it's i think it's very much the long game and this form of uh this form of kind of evangelism power evangelism however you want to call it relies very much on a kind of an impact and getting people to to make a commitment but it's not actually walking alongside people and making disciples yeah should i tell you why i stopped doing altar calls yeah i stopped doing altar calls for for the reason that lloyd jones says he stopped doing it he wrote a paper on something called decisionism and what he says in essence is what you have just explained which is that if we make an individual's decision for Jesus the proof of their Christianity, we are going to get into some serious trouble in the sense that we may actually end up trying to shepherd goats rather than sheep. Yeah, <laughs> very true. We haven't made the fruit the proof of their yeah. faith. We've made the decision the proof. And so we can get into choppy waters, and, and I've had experience of that as a pastor, you know, leading people to the Lord. Um, because they've said the prayer, that means then they're over the line, they're a Christian, they've made a profession of of faith, quote-unquote. Yeah. Um, they've prayed a prayer, and so therefore now they are part of the church, and we begin to disciple them like we would a Christian. And... Uh, very often you'll see these people either not come back after the first meeting when they made the decision or very often fall away and then it can be you know as you should you should pray for them you should you should try and keep contact with them but sometimes i think the response of christians has been rather rather than saying "Mm, okay this person showed an immediate excitement about the message of the gospel and has chosen in that moment to say I want this I, I want Jesus yeah. I want to repent um, rather than looking at it and saying oh well, they chose that in the moment but they've 
now withered away, a lot of Christians look at that and say, the problem isn't them. The problem is the church. The problem actually is you, Pastor, because you didn't create enough programs to actually help those people to find a place in the church. You weren't welcoming enough. You didn't have a new believers class that started immediately as soon as they finished. And and as a pastor, you would take that on the chin because you thought, yeah, they're right. You know, (laughs) the, the reason isn't because they have withered away or because that profession of faith actually wasn't real uh the reason is that we just don't have enough programs you know yeah um and it becomes this crazy kind of mechanistic um situation um which really it really isn't kind of grounded in scripture and so after a while i stopped doing altar calls because yeah i would find that that i would actually i would say you know who prayed that prayer for the first time right and i would get christians who i had known for 10 years putting their hands up and i'll be like right okay well what, why are you putting your hand up oh yeah that's the first time i've prayed that prayer okay so i got wise to this but we'd have visiting speakers come in and they'd say right you know they've preached the gospel how many of you have just made a decision and because it's a visiting speech speaker yeah. everyone's amped up hands would go up and i'd be looking around thinking well that person's been in the church five years that person yeah, puts the hand yeah. up every time somebody asks and then the visiting speaker would go and, and I, we had this happen publish it on their website that like 50 people got saved at their meeting and i'm yeah. thinking no they didn't no they didn't that that's false information and so oh yeah i've heard this so many times like oh dude, all these kids 150 150 kids became christians and my friend would be like yeah that my my daughter has been a christian for years and she went forward it's just she like was she didn't become it, yeah. a christian she's already a christian yeah. you know and it's the, and the desire thing is, to get numbers and to have fruit and so my pragmatism my was numbers on, game it's pragmatism isn't it and it's, it's decisionism yeah. and i just felt i'm going to stop doing that because it, it actually gets the opposite of what i want um so a true salvation somebody is going to feel conviction of sin somebody is going to feel conviction of sin they are going to have a change of heart the holy spirit is going to take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh they are going to supernaturally manifest fruit to their faith yeah they're going to want to be at church they're going to want to pray they're going to want to read a bible of course i'm going to do my very best to help them and i will ask people if you've heard that message and you would like to speak to me if you'd like to pray with me afterwards if you would like to accept jesus or rather i don't use that language even yeah if you would like to come to christ now come pray with me after i'm happy to do that but the the problem with the altar call and the raise your hand if you've just done x or y or z is that it inevitably creates false converts or just creates confusion because people people just want to people sometimes are so caught up in the moment that they will it's do sadly things. true and um, i think it is and i think there is an element to that as well the thing is oh, mate, um, and and this is the worst thing as well is that sometimes sorry to interrupt but Sometimes the, the reverse is true. Sometimes you'll get the visiting speaker and everyone wants to put their hands up. But sometimes yeah. nobody wants to put their hand up and then you'll witness a preacher just dying a death on the platform. Right, yeah. come on, I'm going to give you one more chance. There's got to be someone out there. Right, because, I've seen that. Because they it's need, been me as well. <laughs> it's, yeah, they need the result. They need yeah. the result. And so there's pressure applied, there's emotional pressure, there's manipulation happening just to get a few hands up. Like... And, and that's my concern, is that we're trying to make something happen in the flesh that isn't happening in the spirit. Um, yeah. And I actually think that that grieves the Holy Spirit in a sense. You know, it's, it's certainly it's not the unforgivable sin, but it, uh, you know, it, it it's not going to work well, I don't think, because we're trying to manipulate spiritual results by carnal means. Um, so, yeah, and I think Finney, going back to Finney, he, he, he was an advocate of that. He... He, he certainly influenced a whole generation of ministers after him, like D.L. Moody, who would, would practice that sort of come to the altar, raise your hand if, you know, and all of this stuff um, that has become really the norm these days. And if you're an evangelist these days and you don't do an altar call, 
well, you're just simply not an evangelist, are you? Like I remember, yeah. being, I remember being told like, the problem with your ministry is you don't pull the net in. You don't, yeah. you don't work hard enough to pull the net in. You need to close the deal, right? You need to close the deal. Yeah. You need to say these words. There needs to be a raise your hand if, and these sorts of things. Otherwise, it's not a proper gospel presentation, which is just simply not the truth. It's simply no. not the truth. And, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. This I, is why, going back to what you said about Dr. Mike Lloyd-Jones, I, I remember, um, and, and, you know, this is not to be controversial, but Dr. Mike Lloyd-Jones wasn't keen on Billy Graham for that reason. Mm. Um, Dr. Mike Lloyd-Jones was someone who's very much, um, he was preaching the word of God and, and people were coming to church and it was changing them over time and someone might come and hear that and believe, but that person would need to, keep coming to church and keep being refined uh, and Charles Spurgeon would be the same you know and I think this is the thing where actually when you look in the Bible and this is something which I mean Paul Wash is a brilliant person to listen to and read to I read about this where essentially he'll point out and Vody Borkham as well they're, they're writing and talking about the fact that in the Bible it, it doesn't say that anywhere it says repent mm. you know it's like, like the Apostle Paul says God commands people everywhere to repent. Yeah. And Jesus himself says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he literally saying, right, you need to turn away from the way you're living and and start following following Christ. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with you said a prayer um, on that Sunday night. or and, and having said that, yes, at some point, this is where I want to make the distinction, that at some point you have to make the decision um, by under the power of the Holy Spirit when you're convicted to say, right, that's it, I am going to repent. I, I'm, but there's an element where as you go on in your Christian life, you have to keep repenting. Yes. And it's not just something that happened once. Yes, there's once where you were, where you were, I suppose, justified and, and you came to Christ and you, and you repented for the first time and started walking with him. But, but that is an ongoing thing. It's never just sort of like a, um, you know, and, and this is where we've got to be careful here because essentially um, the justification happens once. So our, obedient following after christ is fruit of that justification yeah um so there is there is that there will be a moment where there is that moment of conversion as we see with the apostle paul uh, as we see with augustine and people throughout church history and in our own lives there's that conversion moment where we we pray to god and it was genuine but the fruit of that is we keep on walking and we keep on confessing and we keep on repenting as we go yeah absolutely and i think that's that that sort of work can only be accomplished supernaturally like you you're not yeah. ca you're actually not capable of starting from a position that is in adam as a federal head romans 5 you, you can't start yeah. from a position of being in adam totally in sin you know a hater of god as paul says and then just make a decision you, you can't no. do that the bible says is romans 8 verse 6 to verse 8 it says for the mindset on the flesh is death but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it's not even able to do so so the, the, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God it doesn't subject itself to the law of God 1 Corinthians 2 tells us as well the carnal man or the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit, um, he is not able to do so. There is, um, there's basically a lack of functionality um, in the natural man, and by the natural yeah. man we mean the unregenerate man, somebody who is not a Christian. There is an inability. Now, Charles Finney simply didn't believe that. He simply didn't believe in the inability of man. He didn't believe what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, that you must be born again. You can't decide to be born again. That's the reason Jesus used the language of birth. Yeah. If it was simply a choice, he wouldn't have used that language. He would have used language wherein Nicodemus could have understood, all I need to do is make a choice here. I need to change my way of thinking. But Jesus used language of birth. Nicodemus yeah. knew he couldn't decide to be born the first time. <laughs> so no. he yeah. could no more decide to be born a second time. This is something that is in the hands of God. Now, Finney simply didn't believe that. He believed no. that anybody at any point could decide 
to choose something which is pleasing to God, could decide to repent, could decide to be born again. He even he even said in terms of his doctrine of regeneration. Now, if you're not familiar with the doctrine of regeneration, because I don't want to assume everybody is, and if you're not, don't worry. Um, this is this is why we do this podcast. <laughs> this is why we do this podcast Amen. is to get charismatic Christians familiar with doctrine, because goodness me, if the charismatic church began to love doctrine half as much as it loves worship songs. This Preach. church would be on fire. It would be unstoppable. Amen. Be unstoppable. Amen. But the doctrine of regeneration is the doctrine of the new birth. We're talking about what Jesus is saying in John 3, which is you must be born again. Now, scripture teaches that the new birth is something that is of the spirit, is something that happens to you. You do not make it happen. And so the, the old uh, reformed versus non-reformed debate is which comes first faith or regeneration now um, there are different views on that and we're not diving into that tonight necessarily but but we would say that regeneration always precedes faith since yeah. one cannot choose uh, as romans 8 and first corinthians 2 says the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit and the flesh is hostile towards god and and cannot subject itself to God, then how could faith come from somebody who's not able to apprehend these things? How could faith come from somebody who is hostile to God? It couldn't. There has to be a change of heart, and only God can intervene to do that. Absolutely um, right. Whereas Finney said this, in, interesting language, in his uh, systematic theology, Finney says, regeneration then is a radical change of the ultimate intention okay so we, we're talking then about change we're talking about change um, another another way of talking about it is he said this uh, the universality universality of selfishness is what might be expected and when Finney talks about selfishness he's meaning sin he says if selfishness consists in the committal of the will to the gratification of self this will be a thing, of course, unless the Holy Spirit interpose greatly to enlighten the intellect and break up the force of habit and change the attitude of the will. So regeneration yeah. to Finney, God's only activity in that was to essentially kind of give our own minds a bit of a shivy on. There's no, yeah. <laughs> it's not really regeneration. It, it's just a simple change of decision. It's just a simple well, I'm not going to do it that way anymore. <laughs> Regeneration yeah. in the Bible is heart of stone, heart of flesh. New man, right? Not not yeah. slightly reformed man. It's not reformation, it's regeneration. And so Finney just simply did not believe in original sin. He didn't believe in regeneration as the Bible puts it forward. Uh, he simply believed that people who were in Adam could just choose to be in Christ of their own will and yet maybe the Holy Spirit's in there trying to kind of shivvy them along but essentially every person's just got the ability in their free will to choose these things and so therefore his method of preaching which was very much put your hand up or come forward to the altar if you have chosen Jesus essentially yeah he didn't believe there was much supernatural going on there it was just no. a case of if I can convince these people that this is the best possible and reasonable choice to make, they will make that choice. And so and this is there, there we have the nub of it. This 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 is big, isn't it? These are essentially core doctrines of the Christian faith that Finney simply didn't believe. Yeah, and this is why uh, theology matters so much because essentially what he's denying is something that if you read the second half of Romans chapter 5 and verses 12 to 19 it's talking about uh, sinfulness that's imputed to humanity essentially at birth as yeah. King David would say in Psalm 51 in, in sin did my sin, mother conceive yeah. me as uh, St. Augustine kind of described uh, human sinfulness it's almost like a sexually transmitted disease as yeah. we said before on this on this podcast that it's it, just by nature being born of a woman uh, and you are a sinner because that's adam's seed continues and you, you become that's why 
you just say to anybody who's not sure about that and some people genuinely believe that uh, kids are innocent and then they start being naughty and you say well how long does it take your kid to start disobeying you yeah. like is your kid not you know doesn't even know how to walk before they're disobeying their parent you see the will of the child coming out even before they can really talk properly yeah that that, that, that fallen nature is in every single person and, and essentially um what finney would reject was the idea of this imputed sinfulness yeah this idea that we're born sinners yet to him we're not born sinners and the idea of total depravity that every part of us is is sinful every part of us our, our heart and our mind uh and our, and our, and our, our being is com- body, mind, and soul is completely returned and got a bent against God. Yeah. And and it takes a miracle, of the Holy Spirit, as you said, to, to be born again, to actually to be awakened by the Holy Spirit. He didn't see that. So that's why Finney would, uh, from a very kind of carnal way, he'd try to appeal to, I suppose, people's good senses or, or try to r- rationalize and reason with people to get them to just kind of pull their, pull their socks up. Yeah, that, it was that. It was very moralistic in terms of the preaching. Um, very much, you know, come on, like you can do this. Uh, choose Jesus. And and to be honest, um, his part of his issue really with Reformed theology and with Orthodox Christianity, in fact, it's not just the Reformed faith that Finney held truck with. It was Orthodox Christianity. Yeah. Um, you know, he he. This is the thing. Um, not even the Catholics would have welcomed Finney <laughs> under their wings. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> because Finney went far further than they were prepared to in terms of what humans were capable of. You know, Finney denied original sin. Of course, we know uh, that Pelagius did the same thing, who was condemned as a heretic yeah. for denying original sin, for saying that man was capable of, uh, out of his own free will, uh, choosing God. And, and in fact, if you ask most Christians in church these days, uh, is mankind capable of their own free will? And we're talking about sinful mankind. Is, are they capable of their own free will of just choosing God one day and just choosing to not be a sinner anymore and choosing to be a Christian? I think most Christians would say, yeah, yeah, we are. We're capable of doing that. But that would actually be heresy. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what Pelagius no, is condemned for. Um, and that's what Finney proclaimed as well. Um, and again, I think it's just missing the scriptural revelation of what you know what Jesus used as the language to to describe the new birth. It, like we said earlier, it's to be born again. One cannot choose to be born. I couldn't tell God when to, when I wanted to be born. I couldn't choose the manner of my birth, the place of my birth. It was beyond me. Um, it was determined for me and then equally the language of the apostles with respect to the new birth and and, and indeed the sinner and we've, we've talked about this before but Paul's language is Ephesians 2 uses the language of being dead you know you were dead yeah. in your trespasses and sins well what, what can a dead person do can a dead person choose to be alive could Lazarus, Lazarus in the cave have decided to be alive when he was dead well no that would be that would be to destroy that whole um metaphor you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world but verse four but god but god being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he's loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive god is yeah. the one who is making you alive not you he is the protagonist he is the actor in that situation he's the one doing the action of that verb not you so finney simply just would not believe that finney as i say when you read his systematic theology it's 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 not an easy read and it's replete with philosophical language um I'm no philosopher, so uh, I struggle with it. It's it's dense, it's difficult to understand, but essentially what he wants to do is introduce certain philosophical concepts which would have been prevalent in his day. You know, he's he's coming after the days of the Enlightenment. There's many Enlightenment thinkers around at the time. Rationalism is a big thing, being reasonable. You've got Darwin's origin of the species is coming in around that time as well. So Christians are kind of getting hammered on every side, really. Um, and so 
he wants to affirm the philosophy of the day he wants to affirm yeah. that man really is this rational supreme being who can choose whatever he wants and craft the world that he wants for himself and build himself the way he wants to be built you know so of course he's going to want freedom of the will and absolute autonomy in there he's not going to want god to be some kind of sovereign dictator who decides the fates of all men he isn't going to want that that's not going to go well with him and it's certainly not going to attract the average sinner of his day so um you can see quite plainly in his systematic theology he's doing all he can to bring in these pagan concepts of the absolute autonomy and freedom of the human will um and he's doing it at the expense of the scriptural revelation of original yeah. sin of the inability of man i think is another way to describe the doctrine of total depravity another moniker for it is total inability it's just describing the yeah. inability of man to make himself right before god um so he he does that at the expense of scripture finney in his systematic theology it it he uses scripture but it's often just a proof text there's no meaningful exegesis in there it's literally just like look these verses say this therefore yeah you know which is it's always dangerous uh you know i, I grant that we're we can all be guilty of doing that but if you're writing a systematic theology you know the the burden's on you to prove your points and to do it from scripture and listing yeah. verses without properly exegeting the context it's just not good enough no it's not and, and certainly Finney would reject the doctrine of justification by faith and the, the righteousness yeah. of Christ being the sole ground of our justification and so you know this idea as you kind of mentioned that the sinner had to reform their own heart to be acceptable to God so and this is where like Isaiah 64 verse 6 would drive a horse and cart through that idea where it says <laughs> we, are, is that we are all infected and impure with sin when we display our righteous deeds they are nothing but filthy rags yeah. that's the way the new, new living translation puts it I think it's just a very nice modern way of, of, of putting it we are all infected and impure with sin when we display our righteous deeds they are nothing but filthy rags and that's kind of really what Finney was advocating not believing in a salvation that's in Christ alone by by grace alone through faith alone so that also meant he didn't hold to sanctification as an outworking of justification but rather he's kind of got them them mixed up so he's believing that sanctification is a way to access justification rather than the fruit of it mm. and it's such a mess and and in fairness all of us as christians at some point can get those two mixed up in in our hearts where when we mess up we somehow feel like i need to i need to kind of atone for that i need to prove to god that i you know i'm going to try a bit harder next time but we can't we can't um make it more of an effort it's where we just come straight to christ and and ask for, for the forgiveness yeah. that he offers freely to us yeah absolutely that's it and that's what's so amazing about grace isn't it you know no oh, man it's the it's the radiance of Jesus's total ability to save us against the black backdrop of our total inability to yeah. make ourselves lovable or, or or right in the eyes of God. You know, it, that radiance of Jesus's grace, of, of the grace of God and the love of God, like it only really looks beautiful and glorious to us when we understand the depth of yeah. our sin as scripture presents it this isn't and this is the way that finney would have said it he said oh all of this original sin stuff was foisted these is his words foisted upon the church by augustine in the fifth century right um simply not true and sadly this is what a <laughs> lot of kind of like knuckle dragging arminians will say these days sorry guys but it's just bad um is that all yeah. of this you know election and you know re all of that election and depravity stuff oh it was just foisted on us by calvin N no, no no it wasn't you don't get a buy through those doctrines by simply saying they arose in the fifth you know the 15th and the 16th centuries it's just not true it's there in Christ's words, it's there in Paul's words, it's there in Scripture. All of Scripture yeah. is the Anastas, therefore it's God-breathed. So, yeah. you know, and, and I think, that, sadly, I think because Finney in his day was 
like most false teachers in these days, leaning on the ignorance of, of his listeners, uh, some, simply saying something like, oh, well, that naughty chap Augustine, he, he was the one who, you know, sort of lumbered us with this this horrible theology of, of total depravity. Yeah, they, they would have just taken his word for it because he, well, he's smarter than me. Um, yeah. he's, he's more verbose than I am. So I'm going to take his word for it. And sadly, it's the same it's the same trick that false teachers work today. I don't know if you noticed, but false teachers, a lot of them are really good orators. Yeah. Like they're good speakers in terms of their natural ability. They look good. They sound good. They strut. They, they look the part. And therefore, unless you know your scripture, you're lit and, and particularly know your scripture in the sense that you know how it kind of all links together. You know the main themes. You're able to kind of have an eye for doctrine in there not just you know because there are i say that because there are lots i'm taking a quick segue but there are lots of christians who know scripture so they can parrot verses to you but they know scripture in the in the memory verse sense of knowing scripture so they they know oh i i know scripture i know the promises of god to me right and so there's a value in that and and i'm not wanting to kind of denigrate that that's good but they don't know the the attributes of God. They couldn't tell you the no. attributes of God. They couldn't tell you the doctrine of justification. They couldn't tell you about the atonement. They could tell you the promises of God, but they couldn't tell you about man's condition after the yeah. fall. They couldn't tell you these things. So these people are literally fish in a barrel to false teachers because the false teacher knows that they have the upper hand. They are more winsome than these people. They are persuasive. They're inter- they're intelligent, and so these people just do not have a defence. And so, yeah, this is the the same trick that Finney used uh, back there in the eighteenth century. Sorry, in the nineteenth uh, century, it's still being used today. Yeah. And um, sadly, he's left a legacy not just of decisionism, but also of, to be honest, like a rank semi-Pelagianism in the evangelical church. Whereby, yeah, definitely. whereby now to mention just to mention the names of Calvin and Luther can get you kicked out of a church as a leader oh definitely you yeah um, absolutely so, like this is the legacy of Finney who was no doubt a heretic was a false absolutely. teacher <laughs> I mean Finney is, I mean it's no surprise at all that Finney rounded off this terrible theology and I say that with a heavy heart but it was terrible his theology by denying substitutionary atonement in fact you know he went as far as to label imputed righteousness and that is the doctrine of Christ taking our sin on the cross and through faith us becoming God, Christ's righteousness and Finney labelled imputed righteousness as theological fiction wow uh, and so he denied the core of evangelical theology this is not a secondary or tertiary issue this is a first order salvation issue if you don't believe that christ died on the cross in your place for your sins then essentially you're not a christian you can't be a christian if you don't believe that you're not a christian and this is very controversial to say that and if i say that people say i can't believe you said that i'm like what the Bible says that. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't believe that Christ died on the cross for your sin as an atonement for your sin, took the sin that you deserved and died in, in, in your place, being punished in your place, you are not a Christian. And yet how many people do we see in the church today saying, well, I don't believe that? Right. And they might be very nice people and they might be uh, very well argued from their point of view and they may hold their hands up in worship. But the point is, if you don't believe that Christ died for your sin, and and you have and you haven't put your trust in that, you're not a Christian. No, you. you you're, and and you're Finney a false didn't believer. believe that, and Finney didn't teach that, and that's why definition by definition I'd agree with you absolutely that Finney was by definition a heretic, because essentially not only did he get into ministry under false pretenses, didn't take doctrine seriously at all, but he systematically denied the fundamental truths of orthodoxy in favour of a man-made pragmatic religion. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Mic drop, mic drop. And so I think, you know, to sum all this up, like, what are you now going to do with this information? I, th- I think, if anything, this, this is, I suppose, what we say every time we do one of these um, episodes, when we, every time we do a Hammer and Tulip podcast, really, is that our heart is for the charismatic church to be more Berean 
is to, is to check out in scripture these things and to take a real love and interest in studying not just scripture be, to, to study verses where there's a promise that might pertain to you but to study god in scripture you know to have a theocentric outlook on reading the bible what not when you read a verse don't think firstly what does this say about me think what does this say about god yeah what does this tell me about christ what does this tell me about the holy spirit and then work down from god to you don't start with you yeah. you know don't read every verse and think how does this apply to me and my situation today that's just simply not the right way to read the bible and not you will be a sitting duck for false teachers if that's how you're reading and uh this is what we say every time is how how do we learn from hard sessions like tonight looking at the life of somebody who who led the sheep astray or at least tried to in his day how do we learn well the thing we can do as 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 one of god's children is to pay real attention to the reading of scripture get to a church where scripture is preached you know like if you are if you're looking for a church as i think it was washer who said it don't look for the church that's nearest to your home look for the church that's nearest to the bible right oh amen brother look, amen look, to, look for yeah. a church where the bible is preached verse by verse expository preaching get there be there love the word of god study the word of god buy a systematic theology get yourself yeah. a systematic theology book you know wayne grudem's great like start there and enjoy learning about god you can improve your theology well i think is it's rc sproul said you know everyone's a theologian the, the debate isn't whether some are theologians and some are not at least not at least in a general sense the issue is is that it's not whether you're doing theology the issue is whether you're doing good theology right? yeah so absolutely right i think as a charismatic church we would want for us all to be better theologians to be prepared to listen and to be a Berean and, and to ascertain whether what we're hearing from this amazing preacher is really true, is really true. And you're not being dishonoring by doing that. You know, the Apostle Paul praised the Bereans, even though they investigated what he'd said to them and they held what he'd said to them, an apostle, up against scripture. And they said, is this true? Now, if Paul an apostle of Christ didn't mind Christians weighing his own words against scripture, then no other preacher should have any issue today. You know, if, if any preacher says to you, how dare you question what I'm saying, run a mile. Absolutely. Don't go near that person. Don't listen to them. You know, if they start saying, oh, well, you know, if you question God's servants, this will happen to you, that will happen to you, get out. Get away. Absolutely. Run a mile. If, Run if a like mile. you and I, the likes of you and I, Graham, we, you know, we are absolutely, we, we submit to the word of God. Yes. You know, we don't make it submit to us. So if someone comes to us and challenges something, we've got to, you know, look back to what did I say and make sure that what I said was, was biblical. 100%. Before, before some, yeah, someone may, may be saying something that's actually there, uh, contradicting what the bible teaches and we taught it correctly but they could very also easily be pointing something that we said that was wrong yeah because we want we want to be teaching the word of god and be faithful and and this is why i want to encourage you if you're listening to this is to um you know read like graham said read the word of god get yourself an esv study bible or whatever and a um a a theology systematic theology book and read that but also when you're listening to to someone preaching ask the question what am i learning about god today come on not not what am i learning about about how i can live a better life because i can guarantee (laughs) you listen to a lot of preachers now a lot of these shiny cool preachers uh, (laughs) and a lot of them it's all going to be how how you can sort out your finances and how you can have better relationships and how you can feel better about yourself and have more self-esteem and oh i used to be really i used to have really low self-esteem but now i feel great about myself yeah. like this is not what it's about what have you learned about god today what Come have you on. learned about his plan of salvation how, and this is i've said this so many times to people you know 
when you, as you've already mentioned, when you come to the Bible and you sort of read yourself into it, I love it when Matt Chandler says, you're not David. Yeah. <laughs> you're the Israelites cowering in, in fear. Yeah. You know, but when you read yourself into scripture, all you're looking at when you read or you open scriptures, a self-help book, you're really just reading it to, to find something to help you get through that week at work. That's and right. quite frankly, how mundane and boring is that? As opposed to, as we all do, we've it's got true. problems and difficulties. You open the word of God, you start reading it and then suddenly you see yourself as this tiny uh, part, like little cog in God's great big plan of salvation. Yeah. And you think, wow, God's got this huge plan of salvation for his people and little me is actually a part of that plan. Praise and then God. all of a sudden, your problems just suddenly kind of become so irrelevant. Yeah. It's almost like, actually, why am I worrying about that? This is far more amazing. And I get to spend eternity with the creator of all things. And Amen. I just want to encourage you, read the word of God and listen to people who preach the word of God faithfully and 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 that you come away thinking, wow, I've really learned a lot about God today. And, and that's how we grow. That's how we are discipled. You should feel like the, you, the inside, you should feel that your soul is resonating with what's being said. And you should feel the Holy Spirit at work in your heart as you, as you read the word of god and as you sit under the preached word that's right yeah who's being glorified that's the question you have to ask as well is who's being glorified is it god or is it me and what i can do via my whatever my free will or my audacious faith who's being glorified man or god you know again if it's man run a mile run a mile like i'm not even i'm not even going to mince my words there the the last thing that we need in this man-centered, God-forsaken world is more man-centered preaching. It's yeah. true, isn't it? It's like yeah. what we need in this day and age is preachers who will stand up and preach God's word and glorify God. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely Who's right. Who's being magnified? Who's being magnified? Whose glory do we come away from church talking about? Is it God's or is it our own? Or is it the pastors? You know, God forbid somebody should come away from my church thinking what a wonderful preacher I am. You know, actually yeah. Charles Spurgeon said, a lady complimented him afterwards and said, uh, you know, Mr. Spurgeon, you're just such a wonderful preacher. And he said, oh yes, the devil whispered that in my ear when I stepped down from the platform oh, as well. Oh man, yeah, yeah. it's and so true. Yeah. You know, the, the devil wants preachers to be very, very encaptured with us, very, very, sorry, enraptured with themselves, doesn't he? And so you want to look for people that are not looking to be some big shot. You want to look for people who are just there standing, wanting to preach the word. And if you are a preacher, you're a, a I don't know, a vicar, reverend, whatever. When we stand up to preach, let it be God's word that we preach and let us do oh, it man. faithfully without trying to make a name for ourselves in this world. You know, there's enough people trying to do that already. And I honestly think the pursuit of trying to make a name for ourselves has caused so much damage. Like, let's, yeah, let's, let's just preach Jesus. Let's, let's preach the word as it is. Um, amen. Amen. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Well, um, Gareth, I don't know if you had anything to finish on, bro, before we yeah, wrap, just wrap up. Absolutely, yeah. I think really the, the sort of closing thoughts really is that, um, and this this is really helpful to look at and think about the ways that this has affected uh, modern church. And I think really one of the things I want to kind of go back to and close on really is, I mean, I think we've both been in ministry roughly about the same time. I've been in ordained ministry about eight years now. And I really have learned that, full-time ministry really is all about the long game yeah and it's messy and it's hard work um you're making disciples you're teaching correcting encouraging and shepherding people you're seeing tragedy happen in people's lives you're seeing crises of faith you're seeing people stumble and and you know fall and then try and get them back up again it's it's messy and it's it's the whole idea of ministry being somehow glamorous and cool and sort of, you know, that, you know, people sort of almost boasting about numbers and stuff. It's just not real life. It's just not what it is. No. And I just think this is something where what we learn from, from, 
re- reading all of the leading into all of this reading it and thinking about it and reflecting on this we, we realized that this is a time which has actually affected the church so much today in so many different ways particularly the the wanting to manufacture revivals and mm. the fact that pe- people will often think what can we do to get people into the church oh. building and, and it's usually the last thing they do is actually pray about it and I, I just really want to encourage us that you can never pray enough you think about you know the Lord Jesus who would pray into the night and you know I know some women in my church who will literally pray for five hours or something like that yeah. and and you just think that is amazing and that's what we need we need to be at that point where we are just on our knees praying and contending with God rather than trying to attract people in um, so that so we're looking for the Holy Spirit to move hearts because if regeneration comes through the Holy Spirit yeah. then it means our leaning should be in prayer asking God that he would move people's hearts to him and that's the, that's the first thing I kind of think. Also, secondly, is that we shouldn't try to be appealing to the world. And as we see in the case of mm-hmm. Charles Finney, there was wanting to appeal to that post-enlightenment culture yeah. and the rationalism of Darwin and wanting to appeal to people on a level that m- might have made sense. And so today our challenges are very much uh, in the sense of kind of self-realization. So we want mm-hmm. to tell people, well, if you become a Christian, it'll, it'll, it'll go well for you and, and it'll, it'll be an improvement to your life. Yeah. Uh, and and, and that, that sense of people actually realizing, well, actually, when you do become a Christian, often your life can be more, is more difficult. And when life gets more difficult, you people are turning away from God because they thought God was going to give them the idols of the age when actual fact they're called to deny themselves so being appealing to the 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 world doesn't work it's a mugs game we we need to actually stop trying to somehow be uh, cool or trying to be in with the culture and recognize that as Christians we're always going to stand out we're never going to be accepted by the world so the idea of as an old friend of mine used to say I want to be a a cool Christian and and sadly he's a long way away from the Lord now because there is a sense of I love worldliness and I want to be accepted by the world and go to church those two things will pull you in two totally different directions and you have to choose but also thirdly there's denying the fundamentals of orthodoxy and essentially as as jesus says the the road is is narrow and the mm. and the and the gate even more narrow that leads to eternal life and very few people find it when we start denying what the bible teaches we're just on the broad road that leads to destruction and holding fast to that but and also lastly um we you know, we don't want to be a a uh, creating a religion that suits the culture that that's just hoping for followers it's almost like we're creating a church that's based on how many followers we have on twitter or instagram or whatever yeah. it's that kind of yeah. that's it's become about that and it's not that true followers are people who uh who are faithfully walking with christ and and it's the long game it's not just something that that you kind of switch on to for an hour on sunday and switch off again and so i just really think this is something where we have to look at how this has affected the way we think this has affected really essentially the dna for many modern churches Absolutely. and I, I i really believe there needs to be a, a reformation in the modern church i think it was steve lawson who famously said you know that in the american the american gospel film that you know the church needs to go on being reformed we need yeah. to keep being ref- reforming semper reformanda yeah, yeah. But I'll close with that. But the, there's that need to keep coming back to God and recognizing that in this age, particularly in COVID, we've had a lot of time to ha- to sit in our homes where we couldn't get into the into the churches and think about where perhaps we've gone wrong. And I'd want to encourage us to pray more and think more into that, so that we can, as we come out of COVID, start to be really following Christ and really honouring and glorifying Him. Brilliant. Totally agree. Well guys thanks for listening in and um, we hope that today's episode has provided you with uh, some encouragement some food for thought and um, we shall be back again soon uh, discussing some other hot topic Uh, but until then we pray the lord's blessing and favor upon your lives wherever you might be uh, and that you grow in your knowledge of who he is and in his ways so yes until then see you soon. Bye-bye. Take care. God bless. God bless.